All right, so here we are again. I am Hiller Latoya. I am the artistic director of DNA Theater, and I have been for comfortably over 30 years. And across the table from me is none other than Michael Reinhardt. Now, who is Michael Reinhardt? He is one of the five or something like five core members of a collective named Elephants. And this collective began in early 2014 and, um, and it's a Toronto-based collective. And um, I personally am not a fan of collectives and and Reinhardt obviously is I, I, otherwise he wouldn't be part of a collective even though there have been things that have happened in the past couple of weeks or months that we're not going to even go into but I will refer to something which I just kind of feel like I just want to like poke you with and that is that uh, last time when we what, how do they say it? Podcasted? Yes. Um, or is it the last time we podcast? I think it might be podcasted. Podcast, I think, is more elegant. It probably is. Anyway, the last time we did this together, um, you said that uh, collectives are tricky at the best of times. Indeed they are. Um, why don't you tell me why you feel or felt that collectors are, quote, tricky in the best of times, unquote. Well, I mean, um, a, there's no rubric for how you make a collective. Um, there's, no, there's no plan or methodology that one can adopt. There are a whole bunch of people who are artists, um, who are together, and who are creating a, uh, a vocabulary um, through which they can they can build and a vocabulary through which they can be together um, and vocabulary in like the broadest sense in terms of language but also in terms of physical vocabularies um, the vocabulary of what is um, their work uh, and so it's tricky it's a huge space of negotiation um, I mean there are people with different viewpoints and different perspectives and um, and and different histories uh, trying to speak and build one thing together. So inevitably, uh, that is a space that um, both welcomes invention, um, but also welcomes conflict sometimes. So does that mean that you would welcome a time where um, we could have genetic genetically identical people, and that would mean that everybody would be on of the same mind, and then collectives would be effortless. Absolutely not. That would be a terrible collective. Uh, the work would never evolve. Um, that, is, that is having one person do the work, which is, which is a type of work, and there's a certain viewpoint where uh, a singular vision um, constructs the work. The, the notion of the modernist, uh, like modern auteur, um, which is an important person um, and an important type of creator. Um, collective creation just works from a different perspective. It uh, it welcomes the multi-perspectivality. I might have just made up that word of viewpoints. Um, uh, 
So the multiple perspectives yes. that are, are that come together um, as a unit or as a group. Yeah, it creates a it creates a scope to the work that an individual simply could not impose on their own. Um, are you sure that the individual couldn't impose? Well, I mean, you know, like we if. It, it, it's you haven't seen me at my best. It, this is true, and I mean there's there's a long history of the of the um, of the capacity of the individual genius. Um, this is not to say that the that the collective makes better work or a better unified work than in, than the individual. I don't think it does. Um, simply, the collective looks at the work or explores the work. Um, from a variety of viewpoints that a single individual cannot have because they don't come from a background of five experiences or ten experiences and ten worldviews building a work. As in, you know, that's one thing that the individual doesn't have. One is neither better than the other. In fact, I think the individual work is sometimes um, more precise, um, whereas the collective work has a tendency, sometimes in the best way, to be messy. Um, they are simply different. All right. Um, I should also just say that um, that the size of the... I, I started off by saying that you are one of the core five, but yes. I, that might leave the impression that the uh, elephants is a, a, you know, a, a collective of five people, but its number varies from eight to 10 to 12 to 14, and some are permanent, some are in and out, and, and it's... it's uh, uh, the actual number is in flux, and that depends upon the availability of people and the necessities of the uh, performance in question. Absolutely. I mean, the uh, for better or for worse, um, collective creation and devised theater is not the most lucrative thing in the world. And so uh, the artists involved have to do many things, and sometimes they have to take projects that are a different type of work, and sometimes they just have to take a different type of work. Um, and so the collective is fluid, due in part to that practicality, um, the, the practicality of economics. But uh, also, um, I think the fluidity of the collective allows for a different type of exploration within the work. It means that the voices and eyes and, um, and uh, viewpoints are fluctuating, and that puts new pressure on the work every time we do it. Right. Okay. I was going to maybe disagree with you, but I think I'll let that one go. I think I'll just let that one go. Okay. Um, now, the reason that you're sitting across from the table with me and the reason we're having this conversation is because I find your work just really compelling and I just think that you're a fascinating artist thank you as well you know as fascinating as they come in toronto which actually is not saying all that much alas however um it's a you know ultimately speaking um you're just a very very interesting and fascinating creator of theater now i came to this conclusion because of a work that you were very much involved in and um, which has had, to this point, four iterations, uh, the first one being in January of 2014 and the last one being in August of 2015, 
and I attended two of those four, and that is what has solidified my opinion about your work and about you, and of course on top of it has been the conversations that you have, you and I have had um, uh, over dinner and then deep into the night. Okay, so today's podcast, I want to focus in on the, uh, the, the piece that so attracts me, and that is Awake for Lost Time. So, um, I want, uh, first of all, uh, I just want to uh, make something clear and I want to know whether I'm right. Is it true that from the very first time the, the form of wake was essentially a, something like a three hour set of, of uh, consecutive actions or activities and then that identical sequence was repeated again yes absolutely and that again is the structure. and again until um was it a number of t- it was a number of times that you would do it right no um we we do it so uh, it, the show, the the show in its like kind of total form is a twenty four hour piece, um, and we have a, a three hour cycle that we build a series of actions, performances, songs, feats of strength, other things um, that we perform over and over and over and over again for the duration of nearly twenty four hours, and then at a particular point in the show. Um, that is kind of a, uh, a secret, I suppose. Um, the performers, uh, due to intuition, more or less, um, call the ending event of the show. Because I was just going to ask you about that because I know that no one, that one of the uh, strict strictures of the performance is that no one is allowed access to the time. Yes. So... If it's not a prearranged agreement that we're going to do this eight times and then stop or seven times and then stop, how do you know when to stop? And you just said, it's a secret. And then you said, oh, but it's also intuition. Are you going to give a little bit more or are you going to leave us with that ambiguity? Um, I I can say say insofar as what we say to the audience in the show um, that this performance is 24 hours long, but the physical wake... Um, the actual wake for lost time um, does not occur until the end of the show. The uh, cycle that repeats itself over and over and over and over is more or less a ritual preparation that prepares the space and creates objects within the space for the moment when the performers call the, the proper wake. The, and the proper wake is utterly unscripted and we, act, we don't know what it is until we call it and we also never know how long it's going to be because it's called via the intuition of the performer. That the performer has certain rules as to what as to what constitutes a good time to call wake. Um, but so there is a final event in a wake for lost time um, that the performers don't know, really, and that the audience doesn't know, and nobody knows how long it is um, until it's called. And it occurs, and then whatever happens in that space happens, and then the play ends. 
and there is a uh, when is the uh, the twenty four hour mark announced? Is it your stage manager? Uh, the twenty four hour mark is announced by the stage manager, at which point the whole performance uh, ends completely. One of the so this event that the performers call by intuition this wake always has the potential of not happening. The performers could miss the cumulative event of the play. We haven't yet. We always seem to call it uh, by intuition, weirdly, with between an hour and 45 minutes left in the 24-hour duration, um, which is largely accidental. Um, but there, there is a potential to do uh, Awake for Lost Time uh, where we miss the event that the 24 hours is for. And just out of curiosity, would the stage manager then step in and say, guys, um, it's 24 hours, your time is up, or would the stage manager just let you go to the end of what I'm going to call the cycle of activities? Um, at the 24-hour point, it, it, it's varied. We, we've um, usually the stage manager has some sort of alarm that goes off at the 24-hour point, or sometimes an alarm clock or something. So uh, at the 24-hour point, some, there would be uh, uh, an event in the space that had not otherwise happened, and then the performers would leave the space, um, whether they achieved the, the wake for lost time or not. I'm not sure I quite fully understood that. Let me try and put it a little bit simpler. Sure. Let's say that your intuition is off. Mm -hmm. And you are in the midst of yet another round or another cycle. Mm -hmm. Would the would the stage manager say, or would you would you hear the twenty four hour buzzer or the buzzer announcing twenty four hours and then just stop and freeze uh, and the wake would begin at that moment, or would you continue to the end of that? Um, uh, that event within the sequence and then stop? Or um, would you go to the very, very end of the entire circa three-hour thing? Oh, um, if the if the 24-hour buzzer happens, um, or when the 24-hour buzzer happens, the performers leave the space. So if, if we never called the conclusive wake of the show over the course of the 24 hours and the 24 hours end, um, then we simply do we not. We just walk out. Yeah, we don't get the conclude. We don't get the event that we've been building for for twenty four hours. It becomes an absolute waste. Not actually, but kind of. Uh, the The rules of the ritual don't get to be fulfilled. All right, um, I'm going to digress for a moment, mm -hmm. or perhaps you're going to make it much, much, much longer than a moment. But something that struck me. Um, it struck me more when I listened to our previous podcast, and that was that you started theater, meaning you were involved in theater, and then you stopped yes. being involved, and then you came back. So when roughly did you start? Um, I, I mean, I, I started theater as a child um, in my small town, um, but I went to Ryerson Theatre School uh, kind of accidentally. I was going to be a psychologist, um, and I applied to a couple of theatre schools on a dare because I came from a very small town with no art. Um, 
applied to those schools and got in uh, and uh, while there uh, was in the theater program at Ryerson and started writing um, and then I kind of worked in theater there for a period of time uh, after I graduated. I had a theater company in the city um, that did kind of fringe stuff when I was in my early 20s. Um, and then I quit at about 24 and uh, didn't really make anything again until um, I did a bit of performance, live art performance art in my late 20s. And then I, but I had more or less stopped until about 31 or 32. So that just begs the obvious questions. What made you stop? Um, I was disenchanted, um, uh, largely with my own, with, uh, the scope of what I had learned in terms of theater was a very traditional model of theater. Um, I had learned you know, uh, very much the uh, kind of contemporary realist model of theater. Um, a lot of the stuff that one would see at Soul Pepper or um, at Stratford or at the storefront in Toronto, which is all very well and good. It's a type of theater, and it's a type of theater that is very popular in this city. Um, and after experiencing some time within that type of theater and believing that there was no other types of theater, or that was the scope of theater based on my education, um, I became disillusioned. I, I, didn't, I didn't care for that type of theater. You know, it is a question of taste, and it simply was not my taste. Um, and then after some years, uh, I started to hear these vague rumors <laughs> about these other things, this performance art thing that I didn't know anything about. And this live art thing I didn't know anything about. And companies that were doing um, more experimental or radical or playful things than I knew of. I mean, I heard of DNA theater. I uh, heard about, in, in terms of Toronto companies, or, you know, some of the work that Volcano has done. I learned about forced entertainment or I learned about uh, Rimini Protocol that I'm seeing tomorrow. And all of these companies, and I realized that there was a, and, and, and Pina Bausch and Wooster Group. You know, these companies that were doing, um, that were not restricted by the same conventions uh, that seemed so restrictive to me. Um, and so, uh, and the, the only reason I learned any of this was because I, on a whim, did a master's degree and had all these kind of um, lovely and kind of, you know, like stodgy academics um, teaching um, kind of an a series of alternative theater courses. And from there, I started to research and realized that the scope of possibilities um, were larger uh, than what I previously imagined. Um, and then, at approximately the same time, I realized uh, what, what I needed theater to do, or what I wanted a theater to do. And I realized a profound value to theater that I hadn't been able to conceptualize in my 20s. You know, you're opening up more cans of worms, and I'm just going to leave those cans of worms open. Otherwise, we are going to be here for hours and maybe 
what's going to happen is I'm going to, well, I'm definitely going to listen to this and uh, maybe make some, not maybe, uh, make some notes and, uh, and just kind of burrow a little deeper into uh, uh, in what you said, because some of it's provocative. And, and, and of course, the part of it is just that I'm curious. But for the moment, I am going to go and harass you about Wait for Lost Time. Great. Now, um, Wake for Lost Time. Proust, remembrance of things past. Mm -hmm. Now there is a link. Um, or is it too tenuous to even get into? Well, I mean, I I don't think it's it's a it's an it's not a big link. I mean, well, <laughs> it isn't. It isn't. I mean, um, over the course of the play. Um, we do rip every single page of Proust's In Search of Lost Time. So um, all four volumes? Yeah. And so that's a total of, I'm going to guess, uh, 2,000 pages. I believe it is the longest work of narrative fiction written in the English, or not in the English language, but in, in a Western language, mm -hmm. to my knowledge. Mm -hmm. um, but also it's, it's kind of one person's uh, relationship with time. Uh, we, we kind of have it as a, it, it is more or less one of our, um, larger kind of, um, oppositional gestures, perhaps, to an old mod, oppositional gestures towards a old modernism. Um, one that, you know, uh, may or may not be valuable. <laughs> it's one that we're, we're playing with, but it's, it's a piece in the show where we we do destroy Proust's work. Um, not necessarily as an act of destruction, because we use Proust's work to build a different space. Exactly. Those pages are not desecrated no. at all. Uh, there was... Oh, it was fun. Oh, who was I reading recently? Oh, this might be the part in the podcast where you have to blip this part out because I can't remember the thing that I'm going to talk about. I was reading about uh, modernist material in postmodern theater as uh, understood as material. Um, I think it might have been Robert Wilson who was talking about this, or Richard Foreman. I can't remember. Um, but the, the opportunity of using previous art... Not as art within art, but as material to be worked upon, to be created afresh with. Um, that seems to be one of the games we are playing with the with Proust. Uh, we are making Proust into something that is both Proust and not Proust. All right. So I'm going to say two things. First of all, um, we don't edit these podcasts, so you're like stuck with whatever words. You say, and I'm stuck with whatever I say. Perfect. You know, the only thing that we're going to edit is um, if, you know, I, I, you know, someone falls through the ceiling or, you know, nobody can hear what we're saying as a result of that. That, that will get cut out, but not. <laughs> and then the other thing I wanted to say is if you can be bothered, that'd be great to have, uh, to find out whether it was Foreman or Wilson or somebody else and uh, let me 
uh, think about that. I have the book in my backpack. I'll check it after the podcast. Great. Do that. All right. Now, what's, what's just terribly interesting and, and what attracted me to your work in the first place and what I said before is the audacity. And it is audacity to do a 24-hour show. I mean, I'm just trying to think. Um, I have been, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm over 60 years old. I, I have been up, meaning without sleep, for longer than 24 hours. But I don't think that's happened more than a dozen times in my life. So this whole business of, of being up for, for uh, 24 hours at a stretch is, uh, in my life, um, a real stretch. I am not, you know, a, I, I am not Keith Richards. I, you know, with the, 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 the endless supply of amphetamines and cocaine and God knows what else. Uh, I can't remember how uh, that singer, uh, that nameless singer, Price or something, uh, the man who used to be called Price or would like to be known by something that's ineffable. Um, uh, he was up for something like 14 days or something like that before uh, he uh, died. He apparently self-administered some kind of drug or other. And um, so anyway, I've never done anything along that line, mm -hmm. meaning I have done a little bit of those things along those lines. But I mean, in, uh, in you know, I mean, if, if uh, Keith Richards were here, he would be just saying, oh, Hillary, you're such a suck. <laughs> so, um, so this idea of being uh, up for 24 hours, just awake mm -hmm. for 24 hours is like something. And then to be performing for 24 hours is uh, just pretty outrageous. Now, and that's without breaks mm -hmm. also, or more or less without breaks. You're always uh, within the uh, visual uh, arena of the, perform of, the, of the audience. I mean, sure, you may step outside and have a cigarette. Uh, you know, six of you will have a cigarette, six of you won't, whatever. But essentially, even when you're having a cigarette, there's going to be audience around you. Yeah. Okay, so you're never alone. Now, the very first time you did this, um, and we talked about it in the first podcast, yes. and we're, I'm not going to go into it in the sense of the details, but it was very, very, very uh, trying and difficult. And, um, and basically, uh, what, I'm, what I'm wanting to ask you, uh, okay, first of all, the the very first time you did it under the most trying circumstances you've ever done it, um, you s refer to it as shedding blood together. And you also said that it was getting through the performance without killing each other. <laughs> yeah, I might have said that. Not you might have said that. That's a quote. Okay. So, um, uh, now maybe you were uh, hyperbolating a little bit, maybe. but, um, but essentially the feeling was 
that uh, at least the desire was to strangle. It, it was... It, the, the first time we did the show was... I mean, we built the show in three weeks that time. And there was no real dramaturgy. There was just... Uh, it was messy. And the process was messy. And um, the people were not... Uh, it was not a, 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 a group of people that had spent any real time together at that point. It was not a collective. It, um, those people weren't ready for the stress of that show. Now... When you did it again, mm -hmm. and uh, when you did it again, you had like another nine months or something like that. It was first time January, then in November. That's when I first saw it. Yes. Um, basically, uh, still on the topic of what it feels like to perform for 24 hours, um, you said last time that that emotionally... And spiritually, you end up being exhausted. Yes. And uh, interestingly enough, you said that it nearly kills everyone. It's great. So we've gone from the point where the performers no longer want to kill each other, but they still feel like they've been killed anyway. Um... I, I, of course, my hyperbole, but um, the show, when it's done, when it's done by a group of people that want to do the show um, and that want to take on or wrestle the show together, I mean, it is very much a, an act of opposition. The show is, um, I, I, I may have... Um, sorry, an act of opposition? An act of opposition. Um an opposition uh, of, of the performer's will versus the brutality of the show, um, the, the, the activity of doing the show. Um, our final iteration of the show, which I, I suppose we will talk about today, um, was the most physically demanding that we had built that show. We had, we had cr constructed it in a way that it was very hard to do the two-hour cycle once, um, uh, things like, you know, dancing as hard as you can and singing for four minutes and then doing a seven minute plank and doing plank, uh, plank, uh, the physical exercise where you hold your body kind of, it's kind of like holding yourself in a push up, but you're holding your body completely tight and immobile and, uh, it's, it requires a great amount of core strength. Um, it's, it's tough to do for a minute. Brutal is by no means an exaggeration. Yeah, it's a, it's a mean show. Um, and, uh, and really, really physical comedy and high energy uh, work that just requires a huge amount of energy to sustain clown work, things like that. And so the two and a half hour cycle is, is exhausting. I, uh, uh, as, as an aside... Um, for... Sorry, I just want to... Okay. Keep your aside. Mm -hmm. I just want to say that, okay, so what he's just saying right now is, and by the way, when I say what he's just saying, I'm looking at Magda and I'm looking at Laura, who are like watching in. Laura has been helping us with the podcast and Magda is the associate artist at DNA. I mean, did you hear what he just said? I mean, he just basically said that the two and a half hour 
sequence mm-hmm. is already like enough to well it's an awful lot to take yeah. but then to do that again and again and again and again um, is crazy and then on top of it and of course you can understand since you know me so well why I admire this so much it's like oh yes and next time we do it we're gonna make it harder on ourselves we're gonna make this more difficult we're gonna make this more challenging we're gonna make this uh, tougher love it it's mean um, it's a it's but everyone, when when the group comes in, when the, the collective that is, is doing this work comes in and everybody... Uh, I, I had never understood the power of solidarity. It was a word that I didn't really understand. Um, and uh, funnily, as an aside, I am a grad student and the, the my grad student, my school, uh, my university went on strike. And suddenly I experienced this weird... Thing where everyone was on strike and people were speaking about solidarity and I was trying to figure out what this word meant and I really wasn't sure what it meant in relation to the strike. Um, but I figured out what it meant in relation to wake. Um, in relation to awake for lost time. Over the course of the process of building awake for lost time, the performers build an extraordinary amount of solidarity. Um, and then that solidarity is placed in direct opposition to... Um, uh, the the difficulty of doing this show, um, as I noted, we have a we have a seven minute plank in uh, every two and a half hours thereabouts, um, where all sorry se- a seven minute or a four minute seven. I thought, um, I thought you said four minute, but don't. Uh, well, I guess for I guess for some of the performers, it's as little as four and a half to five, but it's it's seven for one performer every single time, um, and so all of the performers plank. <laughs> and are singing a song. Um, and uh, this repeated again and again and again and again throughout the night. And not once did one performer falter in their plank because nobody wanted to be the performer that was the one that fell. Um, we also build rules into Wake where people get to do stuff um, based on um, how well they play Wake. You know, even if it's just things like uh, putting down an object, uh, the other performers are watching um, all of the other performers during the course of the play because sometimes how the quality or the um, performance of not being tired uh, that <laughs> the, uh, the feat of strength of still being uh, vigorous in the midst of this show allows the performers to take things that are ritually prestigious within Wake. Um, it's all really strange in, in the sense that these are not terms that are uh, used in our contemporary vernacular. Um, the ideal of, idea of ritual prestige, though it still exists, um, certainly, or at least underlies contemporary society, is not something that we think in terms of. But for uh, during the plank, the performer who has the seven-minute plank um, is a prestigious position in the space, and all of the actors are vying for it, even though it is brutally horrible um, and painful and and, <laughs> and bad. Um, every single actor in the space is vying for this position, not because both because they want it, but also because they don't want to see one of the other people do it. 
And it's a weird thing to have performers in this world where everybody is trying very hard uh, with everyone else's best interest in mind. It's exciting. It's exciting. It's compelling. And um, I'm looking for another word. Um, exciting, compelling, um, gripping. Uh, it's... It's like you're challenging each other. I was going to say you're competing with each other, but I don't think that that is the right word. I think that you're pushing each other, you're challenging each other, you're goading each other, but at the same time, it's it sounds like it's done with love. It's yeah. done with uh, with uh, with a giving that that I I want this for you and I want this for me and I want this for us. The piece only works, um, or works most successfully, when the collective is quite in love with each other. Um, the first collective uh, that did the very first version of the show did not have the time together um, to fall in love with each other in relation to that show, to become a family. Um, the, the second, the further iterations were closer. Um, and then in our most recent iteration in Summerworks in 2015, um, that was the collective that uh, that was most that was most invested in each other as as human beings. Um, we cared very much about our about the group in relation to the work, and that was also my favorite of the two. I mean, it was just very very clear. It was like. It was really amazing the difference between seeing it the first time, which would have been in November of 2014, and seeing you guys after uh, after being at it for 20 hours or so, and me basically feeling, you know what, um, this is not really, it's not really worth my time. Mm -hmm. Sorry, that's insulting maybe, but I mean, I don't mean it as an insult, but it's just like... I can just see it that you guys are just so tired and you're just not doing it that well. Mm -hmm. Now, fast forward six, uh, eight months or whatever to August of 2015, the summer works that you were referring. Well, I came in after you'd been at it for like 20 or 21 hours and I was blown away because it was obvious that you'd been through an ordeal, but, and I couldn't call you fresh. <laughs> no. But, man, you were just going with as strong as you possibly could and you were not giving up and you were just giving it your all and you were basically pushing yourself to go further. And, you know, I've never even thought of it like uh, before like this. Um, isn't it, not that I've ever done this, but isn't it kind of like running a marathon? Yeah. Um, absolutely. Uh, that's often... We have to train for the show um, in a way not... We... Different exercises, obviously, but uh, we think of it very much in terms of running a marathon. Um, well, and, and that is true and false. Um, part of the rules of the show is that you can never do the two-and-a-half-hour cycle um, easily. You can never take a break in the work. You always have to do every single cycle as hard as you possibly can. 
Um, so theoretically, uh, <laughs> if the body could sustain it, which it can't, um, the show could, would, would strive to remain the same for e- every time we did the cycle in absolute precision for 24 hours. Right. Um, it's not possible. Um, but if everybody is striving for that, then we have the potential for really exciting change in the work. It's when someone gets tired or gives up or takes a nap, which can happen, and who can blame them, really? Um, it's a long night. Uh, but when that happens, uh, it does violence to the ritual um, because that's against the rules. Because that's against the rules. I'm going to ask you about rules in a moment, okay. but I, I want to, first of all... Um, uh, you've told me that it takes about three weeks to recover from yeah. a performance. Yes. And and my feeling is that this is a consistent, roughly, three weeks, that you've done it four times, and each time it's circa three weeks. Is that for you, or is that for basically everybody? Um, everyone has their own... Uh, I, I'm somewhat older in the group, and so perhaps mine might be a bit longer. Uh, but it seems that, that everyone seems to talk in terms of two to three weeks. It's actually interesting. Um, we are, uh, have recently been invited to do the show again, um, in Halifax in October. Um, and, uh, perhaps another time in Toronto in January, we're not sure yet, but, uh, one of our performers, uh, who has done Awake for Lost Time four times, uh, has more or less said, that's it, my body can't do it anymore. Um, and so, you know, and she's she's a member of our group and will be building with, on other projects and will be assisting us with the, with the piece. But to actually do the show, as far as she's concerned, unless there's a really, really pressing reason for her to do so, I think she's probably not going to do it. So just four times is my limit. I just... Uh, yeah, the the recovery of it is too is is hard. Um, just too onerous. Just yeah. too. So it's not that much the um, uh, exertion of the twenty four hours. It's the it's the fallout. Yeah. Um, the the piece is really funny because uh, there reaches a point in the night, and this is. Um, uh, a common thing for all the, all of the performers where all of a sudden there eventually there becomes nothing but the show. Uh, you start to forget there is an outside world because you lose track of time and you know you'll be doing the show for a long time and you can no longer uh, measure in any reasonable way how much longer you have or how long it's been going on and so life just becomes doing the show. Um, to the point that you kind of forget about most other things. Um, and then when the show finally ends, it's a very strange and rude awakening. You know, you've sung every song you have to sing. You have, uh, you know, been doing, you, you, like, I lose usually about 10 pounds, 5 to 10 pounds of water, I guess, every show. As, as Hiller has seen, Hiller, in fact, uh, during... The Summer Works show um, was kind enough to 
walk on stage and wipe the brow of myself and one of the other performers who had been sweating through their clothes for 16 hours at that point. Um, it's rough and it takes a toll on you that, uh, that can persist for a period of time. Um, both that, uh, and, and yeah, it just takes, I, I find it takes me in terms of perception, uh, it takes me two to three weeks to all of a sudden return to a level of equilibrium. Not surprising. Not, not, not really surprising. I mean, I would have thought it would be less. I thought it would be in a week. I thought that after a week, um, actually, why don't I just explore this a little bit? Like during those three weeks, do you do anything to yourself to be nice to yourself or you just get on with your, go on with your regular life? Because if you go on with your regular life, of course it takes three weeks. But I mean, it, me, I would just wipe the books clean for a week. I would have like food in the fridge. I would have like friends. I would have like, um, you know, okay, Laura, you're going to bring, you know, are you going to get a call sometime on Tuesday or Wednesday and you're going to bring over your lovely macaroni and Magda, you're going to do this. It's, it, it'll be like, and I don't know when, but at one point I'm going to, that's how I would take that week. Meaning I am going to eat as much as I want. I'm going to drink as much as I want. I am not going to have any commitments, appointments, and I'm going to sleep, 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 whenever I feel like it. Uh, that has not been a reality that uh, the collective has had a chance to, uh, to engage with. Um, normally, uh, on you know, uh, I, I I teach at a college in Toronto um, in the theater department, and so I've finished wake and gone to sleep and woken up the next day and gone to work. Or um, the collective has another project that has a deadline within a month from wake or a month and a half from wake. So we have two days off and then we go into rehearsal again and we start physically training again. Um, so we haven't figured out a way to adequately recover from it. The moral of the story is, uh, Hillary, your way of recovering probably would knock it down to a week or a week and a half. Um, yes. But because of the the uh, the conditions of, uh, of our work, um, it's very often two good days off um, where we all try and take as much care as possible. Um, and then often it's back to work. Ouch. It's not the best. You, the, the expression rules or the word rules yes. has come up again and again. And I wanted to ask you, um, if you feel like saying something about rules, because rules are very, very important for me also. I, I, I gathered that I, um, for transparency, um, I've witnessed uh, one of DNA's pieces live, which was uh, uh, Red Light, Green Light, their boy ballet. And, yes. Um, within that piece, uh, I was able to, to read rules. I didn't always know what the rules were, but I could tell that rules were there. It's a funny thing. I mean, people are really good at reading rules. Uh, when a space has logic, even if they can't tease out what exactly the logic is, um, logic becomes, uh, it structures the space in a way that it has 
parameters that the that people can look at and understand in some way. Um, a lot of uh, the work that I do in elephants and a, and, a, and a part of my vocabulary certainly is um, trying to look for rules in the in 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 the in the in the aesthetic object in the in the piece of art that I make. Uh, figure out parameters by which the uh, art exists inside to give it boundaries, um, to give it the potential to fill those boundaries, but also to uh, provide a scope for the work. Uh, it makes it less sloppy. It's, it's, no kidding, if rules are executed. Yeah. What I find really interesting is that you are saying, um, what you just said, essentially, that you could... <clears throat> that you could feel the presence of rules, mm -hmm. even though you were not able to say, this is a rule, that's a rule, that's a rule, but you had, there was the feel that rules were being enacted. Absolutely. I mean, and you can see that, uh, you know, in a schoolyard or in a mall, um, you know, as you watch people walking through a mall, uh, or you know, in, in, in most urban environments and in, in, in most environments, really, where, where people that are really used to rules and abide by rules and read structuring agents in our environment, uh, it works as a thing by which we navigate the world. Um, it's something that we perceive not always consciously, I don't think, but it's something that uh, brings, uh, gives logic to spaces. Okay. Um... I understand what you're saying, but I want to see if I can get something more out of you, if I can push you a little bit further, because it, right now when you were talking about that and its relation to life, I mean, what else are laws other than rules? If you want to go to, to religion, what are the Ten Commandments but rules as to how to live one's life? Uh -huh. And if you break the law, you... And if you get caught, you pay for it. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, uh, uh, rules are built into our, uh, into our, into the fabric of our society and into the fabric of our spiritual beliefs, if we have them. Mm -hmm. All right. Now, what about rules with, within the framework of theater? Because, you see, this is where I think that Things get interesting and are very different from what you were talking about before when you were saying that uh, that the type of stuff that you were doing in theater uh, when you were in your early 20s, um, late teens, whatever, uh, it was not... I mean, my God, what are we going to say? The rule is you have to say the lines that are printed on the page. Mm -hmm. And you say them, you know... Uh, in in the correct order, yeah. you know, um, um, you you uh, here's a big rule: um, you don't say any of the lines to yourself inside yourself to within your brain. You actually have to speak. I mean, you have to speak your lines. Um, so in in some ways, if you want to pick at it like I just am, you can just say that well, there's rules everywhere. But I don't think that that's what interests either you or me. No. So what is, what is it that's interesting, provocative, um, crucial to, to that, that involves rules that makes theater 
what it is. Um, I think rules create uh, um, something that people can play for in the space. Uh, rules create um, objectives that are real within the performance space uh, that are not, um, they're not represented rule. Like there's, you know, you, you, when you're, when you're representing a character that you are not, <laughs> when you're, uh, creating a representative space, um, the rules that at least that I'm more interested in working with are ones that, uh, create real objectives, um, uh, real games where that the performer can win or lose in the space real stakes um that they are playing for something honest and they don't have to pretend to be things they're not um insofar as the actions of the space so so Okay, so rules, as far as you're concerned, are there to bring out a, um, I'm just going to say a purity of the, of the, of the individual. Because ultimately speaking, isn't it true to say that in a wake for lost time, you people are not playing, taking on rules, that you're basically being yourselves, you're playing yourselves, or you are showing yourselves, you're exposing yourselves as opposed to trying to be a, a, a person who you're not. Well, we're certainly we're certainly not being someone we're not, but we all have we all have more or less ritual functions. Uh, each of us have different jobs, um, and those jobs are are um, constitute different responsibilities. I think it's 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 an it's a funny thing because you know there's 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 rules and then there's rules. You know, there's rules for the performers, which uh, motivate certain things within the performance space, which make for uh, a certain way of doing the work, or being, or engaging with each other, or playing. You know, there's rules. There are kind of meta rules by which the the piece operates, or um, through which people do things, or by which the piece progresses, or um, structures and boundaries within the piece that may or may not be uh, observed or may or may not be gestured to by the performers that are more apparent to the audience. It's almost like a, a different scale of rule. Um, and I think both rules do different things. Uh, one, the, uh, the rules that the audience reads gives them space to understand the world. It gives them a uh, a context. To understand the world, the world of the performance, the world of the performance. That's what um, I was... Yeah, it gives them a context or a framing device, a way to navigate uh, disparate imagery. Um, whereas rules for the performer um, allows them to do things in a meaningful way where they're actually trying. <laughs> do things with stakes, I suppose. I made you a new drink. Thank you. I hope that it is as enjoyable as the previous one was. Okay, so... <clears throat> when you go and make a new iteration of Wake, mm -hmm. 
is one of the things that's on your mind what rules need to be added, what new rules need to be subtracted, what rules need to be kept but altered? Yeah, of course. Uh, we always... Um, the dramaturgy, in, particularly, in particular of Wake, is always an evolving thing. Um, in part because we never know what the show is until we do the 24-hour show, which confuses every new performer we get when, when they're like, so what is the show like? and Or how do I understand the show? Or how can I talk about the show? And we're like, well, you can kind of talk about the show right now, but until you've done it for 24 hours, you don't have any real understanding of the show. You know a two-and-a-half-hour cycle, but you don't... But the, 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 the cycle is, is a thing that is dramaturged to... The show is dramaturged as a 24-hour piece, not as a two-and-a-half-hour bit of content. Um, uh, and so in many ways, the, the, one of the, one of the difficulties we always have is, you know, the first time we made Wake, we were doing it on spec. We were trying to imagine what a 24 hour show would be and what that would do to actors and what that would do to content and what that would do to audience. And so after that show, we were like, oh, okay, so we... You know, we know X, Y, and Z, and so let's rebuild and let's make new content, and we, we kind of know this happened, and we know, you know, things started to get read against each other due to repetition over time, and we know these things. So, okay, let's add new rules, and let's keep, you know, some things within the performance consistent, and, uh, and then try and extrapolate on certain hypotheses. Certain and hypotheses. Um... And so then we build the show for four months and then we do the show again. And the show ends and we're like, right, that one didn't work or that one worked really well or, oh, did you notice that that happened at hour 12? And so then we take the results of the experiment, which is, you know, the nature of experimental theater, you, that you are testing, a, you are doing an experiment that can only be done in performance, which is very much awake for lost time. Um, and we take the results every time we do the show and we apply that to the dramaturgy to see if we can build it more rigorously or um, test a, a, a new observation or explore it in a different way. Uh, our hope is the next time that we do it, we work with performers who... Um, are brought in more or less at the very last minute, uh, who are working abstracted from the company. Um, but doesn't that completely contradict what you said earlier, uh, which is that the fact of their closeness and the amount of time that they spent together generated a certain amount of love between them and, and understanding between them, and that was critical to the success of the Summer Works 2015 show. Yep. Um, that seems to be a complete contradiction. It is. Uh, and so to do that piece, this is kind of, this will be the big experiment if, if, if the theater, if the company in Halifax lets us do it. Um, the experiment will be creating a ritual uh, intensive week and uh, 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 virtual preparation for the performers and a ritual intensive week with everybody together that ritually creates the necessary solidarity to do the 24-hour show. 
the show is just going to eat itself eventually. It's going to spiral in onto itself and explode. Um, but more or less... Do you mean the, the Halifaxy version or just in general? Uh, the next version we want to do. Uh, but this may very well be the Halifax version where uh, my, my, my perfect world, and, and this is far from confirmed, would be to uh, invite three performers in Halifax to do Wake with us. We would bring four performers from Toronto. We would have a week-long intensive where almost every single hour of it is uh, structurally dramaturged to create a ritual preparation to do the 24-hour show, which would then lead to the 20, doing the 24-hour show. The goal would be creating extraordinary solidarity in seven days. Good luck. Ha! But you might be able to do it. You might be, you actually might be able to do it. I think it's got a lot to do with, um, uh, with two things. One, finding the right people. Two, uh, figuring out the right mechanism. Yeah. It's, it, it's figuring out, uh, figuring out the rules. Last time you said something really interesting that I've never thought about before. And I wonder if you could elaborate. Sure. And that was, you said that shows have a way of developing personalities for themselves. Yeah. Um, shows, I'm going to say it again. Shows, because I'm still trying to come to grips with it, uh, 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 you know, uh, for myself. Shows have a way of developing personalities for themselves. Um, and maybe, maybe, and, and this is me hearing that quote slum, slightly out of context and, and, and a few weeks or a few months after, I suppose. Um, and what I immediately jumped to is rather than personalities, I would think in terms of identities. Um, Bingo. That's exactly what was going through my mind is identities rather than personalities. Of course, we could sit here for another 10 minutes and argue about the difference between identity and what? You've got an identity, but it's without a personality or you've got a personality that's devoid of an identity, but it... Yeah, I, I, the, it's a thing that it's, it's, a, it's a, an understanding of self that evolves over the course of, you know, the show's development and its constant iteration. Um, mm -hmm. Like any system, like any, any conglomeration of things that develops over time, um, it changes and uh, certain mechanisms or certain protocols or certain ways of being uh, become stabilized and others are changed or challenged or fall into crisis. And so certain things solidify within the show. Um, uh, I, I feel like anything that is a, a time-based art form, and I mean art form in maybe the broadest sense of a person, uh, is something that solidify that changes and solidifies as a, as an identity over time. And maybe not, maybe solidifies is wrong, but develops an identity. Certainly. Evolves. Yeah, uh, it's 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 imagining, you know, uh, a, a play in the same way as you imagine, you know, a ten year old as something that is constantly changing in uh, relation to experience. That experience might be the doing of the play. And, uh, and of course, you would not disagree that there's been a tremendous, you, 
um, evolution within the framework of your performances of Wake. And if anything, you're looking not for a solidification, but for a continual challenge, a continual exploration, a continual widening of the horizons and the slimming of horizons and trying it this way, that way. Yes? Certainly. If, if we were going to do a remount, we might as well not do it. Um, Can you say that again? Sure. <laughs> I, just, I just kind of feel that that is so antithetical to what theater is about in most places. Sure. Um, if we were going to do a remount of that show, we might as well not do it. Uh, and there would be no point in doing it because... Um, because all of the... Th this is going to be vague, but all of the things that matter about that show would be negated. Um, it would just be... You know, it's a, it's a play about time. And to do a remount and try and do a piece that about time that is the same as the previous version six months ago is... I'm, I'm, three times I stopped myself from, from the wrong word, an inappropriate word for a podcast. It's ridiculous. Um, it is not what a play... Uh, what is time? How about preposterous? Sure. Preposterous is perhaps the most appropriate word. I mean, it's a play that is exploring change. And to imagine that a piece of live art could be static, which is, to, to me, preposterous in and of itself. But, but ignoring that, to, to imagine that a wake for lost time could be static um, seems terrible. Furthermore, um, the I don't think that the performers um, in a remount would ever be able to put um, the necessary investment to do the play well if they understood it as a remount. Right. Um, it needs to be the ritual. It needs to be not a show, you know, not, not somebody's, you know, some show. Uh, it needs, the performers need to understand this as a special, unique um, space of extraordinary power and potential um, where they are together in this space. Um, that's not a remount. A remount is some sort of thing from a, a, a theater industry. Um, it is a way of imagining uh, theater in terms of commodity. That's not our play. You know, one thing that does kind of irritate me is that you keep on referring to Wake as a play. It's not a play, for God's sakes. It's an experience. That's what I would call it. Is it's, it's, it's an experience. It's got nothing to do with the play. It's got... It's far greater, grander... Uh, uh, than a play. We, we, I think we've, we've fallen. Sorry, I mean a play in terms of what we call in theater a play. I mean, sure. this is, we're not talking about play as in playing with each other. Yeah. I think, I think that's, that's like, like, like lazy language on our part. Um, Your part. Uh, on terms of the collect, in terms of the collective, we start to, we start to call it a play because, 
I think it's ironic. I say get out of it, but go on, get out of yeah. that habit. But you say it's ir- ironic. There, there's an irony to calling that show a play. Or calling that show a show. Or calling that show anything. Remember last time when we talked, I said this thing. Yeah. We, that's, that's usually the most appropriate word, but people look at you sideways every time you say, yeah, I'm off to do a thing. <laughs> All right. Um, there's a couple of more points that I want to, to cover within uh, the uh, framework of our time together. Um, and uh, I'm, not, I'm not sure why I want to go into this, and maybe Magda, you'll help me, and Magda, Laura, I'm sorry, Laura, you might also help me, because you were very much a part of my experience directly after um, I, I, when I went to see it in uh, in August, uh, you Magda had just you when the piece was like twenty odd hours old. You had arrived home from Poland, so obviously you could not see it because you. What's the point of coming to see it for thirty minutes uh, when you're exhausted? And Laura, we got together a couple of hour, couple of days after I saw it, and uh, we went to see a baseball game together. And then afterwards, how long did I rant about this show? Do you remember? Hours. Hours. And also, and, and then we got into this long conversation about, uh, after I ranted about it. And Magda, I remember a week after, uh, after you coming back, we went to a restaurant. Mm-hmm. And we sat outside the restaurant waiting to be called in. And, and we had a drink and we had another drink. And I just went through basically, I remembered almost everything in the entire cycle of, which was like about two dozen things. I mean, that's how strong of an impression it made on me. Yeah. Now, what I find so fascinating and what I, and, and invigorating and stimulating about watching your work, um, specifically um, Wake for Lost Time, is that um, if one has any sensibility, I know that's a little bit nasty to say this, but I'm just going to say if one has any sensibility and any caring and any awareness, then one picks up on the rules and one picks up on what could be appropriate and not appropriate within the framework of the play. Did I just say a play? I'm so sorry. Within the framework of this damn thing that you do, okay? And, 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 and what is so interesting, there's two things that are interesting. One is the breaking down of, of all of these rules of you sit in a seat and you watch and you don't move and you know if you desperately are feeling ill then you get out of there and 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 whether you like the piece or not then you applaud and mm-hmm. and and all the rest of that it's just like completely you're allowed to break all of those rules and but you it seems to me that first of all you've got to learn the rules you've got to to and 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 I think that that's one of the extraordinary things that you do by taking this cycle of, of 20 odd um, uh, events and repeating them and repeating them and repeating them and repeating them. And you see that every time they occur in the same place within the space, more or less, and every time you can see 
um, uh, yeah, not only what space they occupy, but the speed at which things move, etc. All right, so here is a, maybe not even a question, but respond to it, okay? One of the things that I found so striking and that I think that is like such an experience, um, uh, unlike most other theater, um, and the reason I say most other theater is because I'm thinking about DNA, because it seems to make sense with DNA. But anyway, um, back to you. There was a sequence, and please interrupt me and correct me if I've got it uh, uh, badly wrong, mm -hmm. but it, has, it involves three guys who are sitting in close proximity to each other mm -hmm. and you are talking with each other at a really rapid clip and um, you have got as props tiny toy, toy soldiers, tiny um, uh, houses, think of Monopoly games, um, and you've got a third thing. I can't remember what the third thing was. Oh, we have all kinds of things. We have uh, we have rocks, and we have sticks, and we have an encyclopedia, and we have some toy Smurfs, and we have some G.I. Joes that belong to an actor named Kevin Reese, and we have some Star Wars action figures, and we have Monopoly stuff, and toy cars, and uh, many things. Toy cars. And uh, uh, a video camera. <laughs> okay, now... The first time I saw it, uh, meaning this is the uh, this is the summer works uh, thing. Um, uh, the very first time I saw it, I hated it. I um, I there was a video of it, mm -hmm. uh, and so um, I couldn't see you guys clearly because it was pretty dark. And because your props were so minuscule, I couldn't figure out what the props were. Mm -hmm. The video of the live thing didn't help me either. Mm -hmm. um, even worse, people around me loved it. They thought it was so funny. Uh, I couldn't understand for the life of me what the hell they thought. It was so funny about it. There was nothing funny about it. It was, in fact, incomprehensible. It was like... Non it, it just made absolutely no sense whatsoever. For the sake of context for the uh, listening audience, uh, at this moment in the play, we attempt to play thing. Uh, we attempt to make a improvised movie of the beginning of the universe from the Big Bang to the uh, Big Crunch um, through all major historical moments, more or less, give or take in a improvised clown-based fashion with toys that is projected as a movie uh, in live, the movie that we're making in real time, on the screen behind us. On the screen behind you? Yes. All right. So then I go back and I see the very same sequence, um, I'm gonna say a dozen hours later, only this time, I know that there's all these tiny little objects and I know that where, where they are located. And so I crept up right next to you. I was essentially player number four mm -hmm. in this whole thing. 
and I knew, I think you had Monopoly money even. Yeah. And, and, and I just knew, I knew when to get away. I knew not to be, I didn't, I never got in the way. I'm pretty sure of that. No. And, and I knew to bend my body so that uh, somebody could reach and get over that. And I knew that I mustn't step on that because I would crunch it. And I really am not here to, you know, the audience's job is not to like destroy props, etc., etc. And I absolutely loved this identical thing that I hated. And I loved it because I was right in it. I was immersed in it. And um, I should also add that you guys completely ignored me. You did not welcome me. You didn't touch me. You didn't, it was, you did the scene. You did the whole thing as though I was not there at all. I'm sure you felt my presence. I mean, how can you not feel my presence when you know I'm literally inches away from you? But it was, um, like I said, you just completely ignored me. And I actually got what I heard much better, what you were saying. And I heard the, uh, the, the unbelievable violence of it and the ferocity of it and the speed of it and the... And, and yet the flippancy of, okay, so we'll, you know, we'll destroy you. Well, okay, if you destroy us, then we'll do that. Fine. Okay, great. But what if we do this? I mean, that was this whole, it was like the destruction of cities and, and empires and, 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 and all, dare I say, in jest. In, 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 not in jest as much as in, uh, without giving it a second thought. It's less this it would be almost the same as saying, well, okay, Magda, what, are we going to have, like, zucchini or are we going to have um, uh, green beans? It's like, whatever, who cares, right? So, um, I, I just, I wanted to say that to you. Um, you know, in, in you bringing that up, it, it brought me back to, to perhaps what, a question that was underlying your question about rules. And... I admit it's been it's been a year since I've done Wake, and so I so the, the most important rule perhaps escaped me. Um, uh, one of the rules of Wake is that for the audience, that the play or the piece or the thing is built to just go. The performers have their ritual rules, the stuff they got to do. Um, but because it's a piece in time, it's an object that is evolving over time, um, it has to be flexible to all things. So, for example, there are no rules for the audience. Um, if an audience chooses to engage with the piece, and they, they learn to um, over time, they witness the same events over and over and over and over with slight variation. They're invited to participate sometimes. They sometimes join us to eat. They sometimes learn songs. Um, I think you actually, uh, uh, it, 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 at the beginning of each time, you basically do give us that freedom. You basically say we can do whatever we want. But they never believe us. Um, and I think, I think part of that... Sorry, and the only thing that you say that, uh, that you mustn't do is tell anybody what time it is. Yeah. But above and beyond that, you basically say, you're free to stay, you're free to go, you're free to enjoy this, you're free to not do it, enjoy it, you're free to lie back and like uh, chill, you're free to uh, engage to whatever extent you want. It's a, it's a thing that we haven't figured out the, the magic words for. Yes, I um, agree. How to, and I mean, we've also had relatively traditional 
um, theater spaces to do this piece in. We've had audiences over here and performers over there, which on one part of the dramaturgy of the show makes sense, and on another end uh, means that the audience subscribes to certain behaviors that they've learned. You know, how do I go to the theater? Um, uh, and so the, the kind of the, the question for, for us is how do we, you know, open that magical door where the audience hears, you can engage with the piece however you want. You just can't tell us the time and the piece will evolve in accordance to that. Um, without exactly saying that, and in a way that after a couple of uh, repetitions of the piece, um, they will start to become brave. Um, they, they, the audience, will start to become brave. Oh, I hate to say this to you, but I think, I think you're wrong. I just, they need training, and I think this is such an unfortunate time in the history of Toronto theatre because um, back, I'm going to say 15 years ago, mm -hmm. you could see this company, this company, this company, and this company, and it was basically a given yeah. that you would uh, understand within 10 minutes that, okay, this is not a piece where you can like touch a performer. And yeah. on the other hand, or conversely, you could say, oh, gosh, this is a piece where, you know, I can just, take out my apple and roll it on the floor and, yeah. and, and, and give that performer a hug if I feel like it. Right. And, and it's, and, and I think that there was this, it was, it was ingrained. Maybe that's going a little bit too far. Let's put it more fairly and say there were more and more examples of what we call environmental theater and different varieties of, freedom and you actually went into the theater knowing that this was a parameter that this was part of that that the rules of engagement were open that they were flexible and gosh I wonder what tonight's uh, rules of engagement are mm -hmm. I wonder what we're allowed to do uh, this performance and not performance and and not to do it um, Sorry, I've, my words have gotten tangled up, but I think you know exactly what I mean. And I would love to help you with that if you want my help or, or whatever, because it is really, really important. And I think it is really, really difficult to break through because of the, I hate to say it, culture that we're living in, the theater culture that is that we're living in right now. Philip, may I ask you a question for the podcast in relation to what you just said? Go. Where did this theater go? Where did this theater go? Yeah, this was a theater that was that seems that um, you express as being a a, a lively um, a lively aspect of the Toronto theater scene, and it was um, an encounter between performer and audience member. Why did the aesthetics of Toronto change? I don't know. I honestly don't know. I, all I can say is I lament it, uh, but I, I, I honestly don't know. I think it's got to do... You know what? I think this is time... That, that's, that's for another podcast. I, I'll, I'll try and think about that, and I'll, and I'll talk about that with a couple of people. Um, 
I, I will say that it, some of it has got to do with the arts councils. Because, because like it or not, arts councils fund the bulk of the work mm -hmm. that gets done and the part of it's got to do with the arts councils. I'll be curious to hear more thoughts on this. Bug me. Bug me to think about it and I will and I'll talk about it. Um, I'm almost at the end of your, of your inquisition. <laughs> um, last time when we talked, you said that Wake uh, has many unknowns. Yeah. And I think you kind of answered that question. Meaning the, the question of, so what are those unknowns? Mm -hmm. Do you want to... I mean, uh, we don't know when the show ends. We don't know what time it is. We don't know the, the piece, the rules of Wake is that we are, one of the rules of Wake is that the performers must accept change because that's what things do in time. Um, and so we can't know. Um, we repeat the same segment of stuff, the same cycle of performance, and something changes. And simply either A, that is now in the grammar of the piece, it is how uh, the piece will be read in, in relation... In its DNA. To, yeah, in its DNA, if you will, uh, to the previous event. Or sometimes that that evolution will become co-opted and that piece will just have that new kind of, <laughs> that new attribute. Um, that attribute will continue through the show. Um, we don't know how the audience is going to play with us. Um, we don't know, we've had performers get sick before. We've had performers fall asleep. We don't know when they're going to do that. Um, the piece is built on, on many principles of uncertainty. Um, and the only rule is that the ritual must continue. The show must go on. <laughs> right, to that, that horriest of cliché. Yes. Oh, that would be a good place to end it, but I'm, I'm compelled to just say uh, one other thing, and that is what I... What I it, that you called... Wake your great white whale. Uh huh. So, can I presume that just like Ahab or Ahab or however you say his name, that you are never going to get it right, that you're never going to get it, you're never going to get kill Wake, that that, that I'm going to be dead and you are going to be doing a, yet a brand new, yet a different uh, version of Wake that somehow you want to be DNA inflected or that you want to be Hiller inflected or you want a couple of rules and so that you're never going to really get it right or you're never really going to say I did it. It's as far as I go. It's going to become a long life. It's going to become a lifelong quest. Um, there, 
because it's a piece that, you know, in the same way that we can't do a remount, um, it's a piece that you can't solve. There's, there's no, sol I mean, what, what's, what's the rubric for this for, what's... what is the rubric for this piece or any piece really? I don't, I don't necessarily believe that pieces are done. Um, but particularly something live, that seems crazy. Um, but in this piece in particular, uh, and for me, in, in, in my relation to it, I mean, um, well, there's a joke in the collective, um, a real joke, uh, that everybody subscribes to as knowing it's a real thing. It's a joke because it's meant to be funny, but it's in fact not funny because it's deadly serious. And the joke is that um, when one of the core people who have done Wake many times passes away, rather than doing a funeral, we just do Wake. And the team knows, um, particularly with me, and people who have done Wake previously, know that that is going to be the awful joke of my funeral to, you know, everyone in my collective. Um, and it's just kind of this, because on that day, it still won't be done. That'll just be a major day of evolution for it because my content will be there and aspects of me will be there, but it will be, that will be the first day that it radically, radically, radically evolves. Um, it's a really dumb show. Yet a show that's immortal. Might be.